Hello, and welcome to the Reset and Rewind podcast. Bonus episode. Bonus Christmas episode. And Kevin, Paul, Boobies, I'm your white knight, Doug. I'm here with Kevin. Yippee motherfuckers. <laughs> and Paul. Hello. <laughs> that was awful. Awful. You couldn't come up. You, you, you've seen this movie like 500 times, I think you said. And, oh my god. And yeah. you couldn't come up with one fucking line from this movie. Well, I I was gonna do I was gonna do I'm too old for this shit. And that's from Lethal Weapon because um I usually end up watching this movie and Lethal Weapon like back to back. I love those are my two favorite like eighties action movies, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. And so I, I just like get the two of them kind of mixed up together so but i love this movie yeah this is like incomparable to you sound like everybody else that i've ever talked to i i i always put lethal weapon and die hard against each other and people are like die hard so much better it is i mean how can you compare mel gibson and danny glover together they can't beat freaking bruce willis bruce willis (laughs) That's how good Bruce Willis is. He can't even leave my lips. They came out a year uh, apart from one another, but it's still, it's a great, both of them are fucking fantastic, but anyway. You know what Die Hard doesn't have? It doesn't have wailing, laughing saxophones. Lethal Lethal (laughs) Weapon is full of those. Oh my god, yeah. But what Die Hard does have is Carl. Carl Winslow. Carl! Um, he is in this movie, heavy. Yeah. Hey, ho, big guy. <laughs> Urkel was <laughs> Thank God. That was a great uh, Urkel, Doug. That, that was, was a great really, Urkel. That was very good. No, this is actually the first time I've ever seen this movie. I've only... I've, I've seen bits and pieces, and I've seen Die Hard with Vengeance, the third one, Probably about 15 times, but I've never really watched this one before. And uh, I gotta say, it's it's probably on the same level as the third one for me. Um, but it is, but both are, in my opinion, very good. So what is your opinion on the whole, everyone talks about this, everyone who talks about Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie? or? It is a Christmas movie, definitely. I definitely, there's definitely a Christmas, I'm definitely in a Christmas mood when I watch it. With the music, the yeah. the setting, there's Christmas trees, there's Christmas lights, Christmas yeah. and Hollis is playing in the car in the beginning. Which is awesome. I, I feel like the qualifier here is, is Christmas essential to the story, right? It, it Not that it just takes place at Christmas, but is Christmas essential to the story? And in this case, yeah. I mean, it, it's a Christmas party. That's when all of this stuff happens. It's the way in which everybody's brought together. So yeah, Christmas is essential to the story. So it's a Christmas. I mean, it's I, a Christmas yes. movie. I mean, it could. You could just have another party. Like, I guess it doesn't need to be Christmas. It's well, kind of like it's kind of like Home Alone. Like Home Alone could take place outside of Christmas. Well, I, well, I don't know. I think 
the overall atmosphere of the entire movie makes it better because it's during Christmas because the cops really don't give a fuck. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the whole building is pretty much empty, and that yep. except for this one floor, and that is only yeah. something that you would have during Christmas time. And the other big thing is uh, the relationship between Bruce Willis and his his wife. Um, like yeah. the only reason they're coming together is because of Christmas, which is the holiday, the the main holiday where people come together. And and that's like the only way these two people would actually come together in this moment because their uh, their marriage definitely seems very strange. So I think, yeah, you're right. I think it could have been any party, but I do think that, that Christmas was a significant actor in this movie. And that's what makes yeah. it a beautiful Christmas movie. Yeah. And there are other movies that could not take place outside of Christmas. For example, the Santa Claus. It, it just it needs to be Christmas for them. No, it could. There's Christmas in July. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas story took, takes place during you know Martin Luther King Day. Well, the the Santa Claus is actually about the claws of Santa. It's not about Santa Claus. Santa Claus the claws. <laughs> Bernard, are you on a coffee break? Oh my God! You can quote that. Oof! It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It is a very good movie. But yeah, and the other scene that couldn't happen, which was a very a pretty good scene, was when he kills the first guy, um, and then dresses him up in this uh, this shirt that says "Ho ho ho." That was really well done. Have a machine nice. gun. Ho ho ho. <laughs> I love I I absolutely love um, Hans Gruber. Um, just like he's the best villain. He's so corny and so great. He's so charming. Alan Rickman really plays him up on this one. It's just awesome. I love I love Alan Rickman, but the one thing I do have to say is I don't know what his accent was supposed to be in this movie. He sounds like Snape. He sounds like Snape, but he's supposed to be German. Yeah. He's supposed to be. And, and, and at, during the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, he's trying to do a German accent. And then other times I'm like, where did it go? It's gone. It's completely British again. And, and it's so strange that he's German and he's able to pull off like an American California accent in that one scene. Right. Oh, it's great. That's one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie. It's like, oh, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Oh, it's just so like... And I love it because Bruce Willis, uh, or John McClane, comments on that. He, he says something about his voice, which makes it even more hilarious. Oh, you should be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Bibbidi bobbidi. Big bottom boom. But I will say, like... Uh, in the third one, um, for, for some reason, I don't know what's with the uh, acting choices or the, the, the casting choices of the villains in both the first one and the third one, but in the third one, the, they chose Jeremy Irons uh, as the main villain, and he's supposed to be Hans Gruber's brother. And they are probably some of the most British-sounding actors ever. They sound very, they sound very similar. They yeah they chose yeah. them they're like Shakespearean actors right that's their voice mm-hmm. uh, especially Jeremy Irons and I don't know why they chose someone so British to play a German actor but Jeremy Irons actually does a very a pretty good German accent just Hans Gruber or 
Alan Rickman, I don't know what he was doing, but it, it adds to the charm of his character, so I like it. I almost like root for him, because I like him so much, but I also root for John McClane, so, you know. Yeah, it's just a really compelling villain, um, and all he just wants is, like, that's money in the safe there but um and i have to say the um i think it's ode to joy that they play throughout this movie the way in which they work in ode to joy from the very beginning and like build it up every time he like you know walks near that safe and then right when it opens up that safe opens up and hans gruber's just standing there it's just a great scene and i like root for it every time i'm watching it i I can't wait for this thing to open up i love it i love how they do that with these diehard movies they have like this very uh i don't know if they did it in two but i know they've done it in other ones uh especially three where they have this song that you know like ode to joy and they play it throughout the entire movie and it's sort of like the theme song of the movie but it's a very well-known song they do it in uh they have the ants go marching um in the third one that's the one that keeps playing over or when johnny comes marching home uh that's the song that keeps playing in that movie and i like that i think they do a really good job with these like old the the theme or the songs in general that they chose for the movie very good they fit in very well i especially liked that they put this very lesser known uh rap song that is a christmas song i never even heard of that song before really um yeah i never even heard oh man yeah i've heard that is it because you heard this movie or did you just hear it somewhere else i never hear it like on the radio or anything Oh no, they play it every Christmas. Really? Oh my gosh, like a lot. Oh yeah. You must miss that song. So let's talk about the game real quick. NYPD! Hey, this isn't even my So there are a few games that were made. uh, And the one I think we're primarily going to talk about is the one that came out for PlayStation. um, And that is the awful unless you wanted to talk about the the regular nintendo one which was also equally horrible which one do you want to talk about first that's the one i played uh um, oh you played so the I played nes the... awful one okay well we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about the extremely awful playstation version <laughs> oh my god the nes top-down shooter i i mean it's bad uh, let me just say that and the movement is kind of tough but for like a, a kid who's what how old was i like eight years old playing this game seven years old it's a great game like it's like really simple just dodge these bullets it's mostly top down but there's some like really fun cool scenes like i think the whole thing is top down but there's cut scenes where they put in uh, bruce willis or like hans gruber's face and like have uh conversations and you know the cutscenes are not great but they're also not bad for nes yeah there's one section where he's just running upstairs i just remember that and it always reminds me of metal gear solid it's similar to metal gear just i guess the top down kind of view and yeah yeah you know, kind of very sneaking, much so. kind of sneaking around i think there's more strategy in metal yep. gear but yeah i i never played the game before um but i did watch the the playthrough and one thing that would annoy the hell out of me today anyway maybe as a kid it wouldn't have bothered me but every time like you're when you're walking around that's playing this certain music that seems like almost like heroic music like yeah and then suddenly you'll see an enemy and i'll be like but then immediately when the enemy's dead 
it's back to normal. And then if you see them again, boom, it's back to this music. And and also the the game uses this like fog of war thing where if you yeah. don't see an enemy, suddenly that area will go dark. So if you were fighting an enemy and happened to just enter this area where you stop seeing the enemy, that music stops again. So it could be going back and forth with the music like over and over again. And it sounded so annoying when I was watching the playthrough. I couldn't imagine. I think while you're actually playing it, you don't notice it as much, right? Because you're actually like having the controller and doing stuff. But I I mean, I, I remember the Fog of War thing and I always loved that because like... All of a sudden, you're running, and then like it just goes away, and then you got to go back and stuff. I th- I thought that was pretty fun, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not a it's not an award winner of a game. It's not like one of the best NES games of all time, but it's definitely something that you know, for a movie to game ap- adaptation, it's not bad. It reminds me of like those old Batman games on the NES, yeah. right? They were just like. Or the Super Nintendo or NES. They're just, like, not great, but, you know, made you feel like you were Batman for a little bit playing a game. This also made me feel like I was John McClane. Um, it was good. Unless it's Batman Returns, because Batman Returns, that beat-em-up, top-notch beat-em-up. That was a great game. Yeah. I was thinking of the uh, Return of the Joker for the NES. Love that game. Oh, yeah. That's the one where you go around shooting stuff because Batman uses guns. He does. Well, I guess he does in that stupid fucking movie. That... <laughs> I'm not talking... I, I talk way too much about how much that movie sucks on this podcast. Uh, I don't even remember you talking about it before. Oh, no, he does. We oh. got to move on. <laughs> I must have. Um, um, okay, so let's talk about... I love talking about awful video games. Um, let's talk about the awful PlayStation version of the game. Now, this one I did play back then, uh, back in the day. I, I didn't play the first game of this trilogy game. Uh, it's all, all the games are in one game, but for some reason I skipped over the Die Hard part, but I played Die Hard 2 and, um, the third one, even though after watching the playthrough, I was like, why did I play those two? They seem fucking terrible. There's a the the one big corny thing that I noticed right when you enter the game is instead of high scores, they replace high scores with harder scores, which was like okay, like why why have it named that? I understand that what they're going for, but just call it high scores. You don't need this very awful pun in the game, but that just sort of sets you up for how awful the game actually was. And one of the worst parts is the sound. The sound of these, of all three of these games is terrible. The music, some of the most annoying music I think I've ever heard in a video game, period. Uh, the first one, Die Hard, uh, is what Doug keeps sort of playing in the background, which I'm, I'm going to add it in. But, um, but it's this... It sounds, dog. You had a good way of. You gave, you uh, you said it symbolized something to you. What did it, what did you say? Something about a cassette tape. Like a cassette tape melting. Yeah. In a broken it's, cassette yeah. player. That's exactly what it yep. sounded like. And and that's all you hear the entire game and it's on a complete loop. And and this game is like a 
I guess it's like an arcade game, maybe? I don't know. That's what it sort of is supposed to feel like because you're, you're getting high scores. The other thing is uh, John McClane's voice in the first, this diehard first portion of the game, it, it, it goes through different voices. So first, when he, when he shows up, he immediately goes, NYPD, but it's, <laughs> it's a really like high-pitched, whiny voice. <laughs> Clearly not Bruce Willis. And then suddenly he is, it's Bruce Willis again, but a bad impersonator. Like it's a, it's just a, it's just a bad impersonator of Bruce Willis. And the most hilarious line that he keeps saying throughout this game is every time he frees uh, a hostage, he goes, get the hell out of here. Which is just hilarious. I don't know if he. I can't remember if he says it in the movie, but it's it's just hilarious. Like, cause at one point in, during the playthrough, as I was watching, the guy encounters like three hostages in a row, and every single time Bruce Willis, get the hell out, get the hell out of here, <laughs> and it just cracked me up. I say like, when he finished the level, of course he says yippee ki yay, but. You can't say motherfucker in a PlayStation game and from 1996. Yippee ki So, yeah, why even say it? <laughs> Which is funny because it, it like cuts out. It, he goes, yippee ki and it's like it cuts off. <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> um, and then the last line that I thought was hilarious that is, that is played throughout is um, every time you encounter an enemy, or at least almost every time, the enemy goes, get him! <laughs> and, it's, and, it's a di- and usually it's a different guy's voice but it's just a different terrible actor's voice so one guy might be like get him and then the next guy's like get him it's all just terrible oh and then the one last thing I wanted to mention was uh, the death screaming every person has is like every time they die they go ah! <laughs> Like they were brutally murdered <laughs> every single time, and it's and it's it's a slightly different scream every time. It's almost the Wilhelm scream, but it's just not. They really play up his New York cop like shtick throughout all of the movie. The first movie, especially, oh, yeah. it's like really hyper, like New York. Fist with your toes, and ugh, I I can't, I can't, I. It's so stereotypical, but also just so great. Um, I don't know what it is, but I just like every time I hear him like trying to be tough New York cop. Like, oh god, it sucks and it's great at the same time. I don't know how to describe it, but I mean, the, the, just looking at the character, he is definitely a stereotype of someone in New York. He's wearing a fucking wife beater the entire time. They made yeah. him wear a wife beater. He took off his shirt to wear a wife beater, and he does that. But this is where not it comes only from. in this movie like, he does it. I think in every single movie he has a wife beater, <laughs> like a dirty wife beater that he's walking around with. Oh yeah, bloody. <laughs> it just yells New York City right there. This movie came out the year I was born, so and it was huge. Like this is a huge movie. This is like a very well known, well loved. People emulated all over the place. So is 
like the presence of the wife beater throughout my whole life because of the, the, how big this movie was? Or is that just like, you know, a common fashion thing? Um, did it like pop up more because of Die Hard? Oh. I don't know. Hmm. No, I think it was always there. Like it's a it's a stereotypical like Italian in uh, like if you see someone trying to play a stereotypical New York city italian person they're always wearing a white beater all the time Yay! and i think that was <laughs> the the one thing i'm surprised <laughs> he didn't say in the whole movie which would have been hilarious is if he goes i'm walking it <laughs> i'm walking it <laughs> that's like the stereotypical uh uh new york new yorker line so did you guys want to talk about the book that this is based off of too? Still, Did you guys know anything about the book? I know zero about a book. Uh, nothing lasts forever from 1979. Yeah. It, it came out before the movie. Yeah. Really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, and it's vastly different. I mean, the the premise is still the same. I think even Hans Gruber is in it. I think his name is still in it. It might not be Hans. I think it's, but Gruber is definitely in it. But I have a a little bit written about it. I read it a long, long time ago. And all I remember is um, John McClane isn't called John McClane. He's like something Ireland or something like that or Leland or something. His daughter is killed in the book. John McClane like kills most of the terrorists, but his daughter dies. And the end of the book is just like the John McClane character, just like a broken fucking human being at the end of it. It's vastly different than the movie. Jeez. That would not make for a good Christmas classic right there. No. That's probably Absolutely why it, not. they wanted um, this to be a, a heartwarming Christmas movie. So that's why it yeah, and, that part. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's definitely um, still happens in at Christmas Eve. But, you know, instead of his wife being the high-powered executive, it's his daughter. And his daughter dies at the end of it so the book is is really great i would recommend people reading it it's super short i think it's only about like 200 pages maybe but yeah it's a very strange and different it's the same sort of premise but the ending is a little bit different and the way in which events happen um are also very different too so yeah. and john McClain or whatever his name is in the book he's like in his 60s isn't he he's much older Oh yeah, I think he. I I don't remember how old he is, but he's older. He's um, I think he's retired at that time, and so he's coming to visit his daughter. I don't think he's still an active cop. Oh, by the way, I think I mentioned this to you guys that Bruce Willis, when this movie came out, was thirty three years old. So he was younger than all of us when he filmed this. Lies. I am thirty two. You want to hear something oh, else crazy? So I don't know when this was... I, we know it came out in 88, so you, we don't know when. It, must, it may have been filmed a few years earlier because Reggie Bell Johnson, Carl Winslow, on um, the movies that made us, the documentary on Netflix, I was watching the Die Hard episode, and at the end, he goes to the... Uh, where they filmed, like where they filmed his scene with like the car crashing and all that, mm -hmm. and he says he was 31, so oh, when we see Carl Winslow or uh, Reggie Bell Johnson in this film, he is 31 years old. He's perpetually 40 and holy mind. shit. And he still he still looks the same now. He just doesn't have a mustache. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's just perpetually 40. Yeah. <laughs> Even when he was in his 20s, he looked 40, and then he just never aged after that. It's just forever 40. It's like the store. 
Hey, just a post-recording note. I looked into this, and apparently Reginald Bell Johnson was born August 16th of 1952. So if he was 31 years old, that means they started filming in 1983, which is incorrect because from what I'm reading on here, well, first of all, that's a very, that'd be a very long time to film a movie. But from what I've read, they started filming Die Hard in 1987. So that would have made him around 35 years old. So, Reggie, you're a liar, but we still love you. All right, back to the episode. I mean, it's like, and it's maybe a year later, like a year later, he gets his big role on Perfect Strangers and then gets his own show. Balky? It's crazy. Yeah, he's on, he's on, that's where Carl Winslow starts. Oh, really? He's on Perfect Strangers. Yeah. And then it spins off oh. onto Family Matters. He had his own show, yeah. and then he was uh, usurped by Urkel. Urkel surped. I feel Pretty like much. the beginning yep. music of Family Matters is almost directly parallel to the beginning music of Full House. I can't get them both. I can't like separate them out of my mind. I, I every time I think of the Family Matters theme, I think but that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right. No. <laughs> it, but it, it ends in a similar way because it goes like, <laughs> and that's similar to how the full house one ends. It's just like maybe it's just during that time, but I felt like they were parallel to each other. You know what I used to love about Phantom Matters during the credits? It wasn't the theme song; it was like the closing credits song when the music swells at the end when they like zoom out of Chicago. Goosebumps. I love that part of that song. Like as a kid, as a kid, I could not wait for the show to end just so I could hear that when the music's falling at the end of that show. Huh. I've never paid attention to it. Yeah, I'll have to look it up too. I think Family Matters and Full House were done by the same I'm person. Almost positive. And if it's not, that person just whoever started the one before the other just stole the whole beginning. The words are like the yeah, same. Yeah, not, not the actual shows, but... Like, when, yeah. when you just watch the beginning, you can tell, like, it's pretty much... The intro is almost identical on how, like, the style in which they did it. It looks identical. <clears throat> Isn't Family Matters a spinoff? Yeah, Family Matters is a spinoff of Perfect right. Strangers. Was that... Yeah. That was a dead show, wasn't it? It didn't go anywhere. I've never even heard of Perfect Strangers. Oh, Perfect yeah. Strangers? Oh, my... God, Kevin. You is got, it like, go is it like a, a classic show, like Family Matters? I doubt it. In my opinion, it has the best theme song for any television show. Oh, um, now I got yeah. to this crap. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's just the best TV sh- It's the best theme show song. I love it. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, you ever heard of Perfect Stranger? It's like the guy moves out to the city and moves in with a... Balky, who's like a foreign guy from like a fictional country. I've heard of it. I've heard of oh, the yeah, show, no. but it's like it's not as prominent in my mind as like Family Matters. Oh, no. I feel like Family Matters was like a hit. Family Matters is such a strange show. Just think about oh, it is. Just think about where it had very like just some of the plots like got into race and all that it got into like racial profiling really serious topics 
And then later on, you have Steve Urkel flying around on a jetpack and then creating, like, cloning himself and transforming into Bruce Lee. That is an episode. Him and Carl transform into Bruce Lee and fight off thugs. I feel like Urkel wasn't in it for the first season, but I could be wrong. He was like a side character. He was just like a one-off joke. It's like, look at that nerdy kid. Right. Yeah, I, I just, I thought like he was just added later, but I guess we should probably move on from Family Matters. <laughs> Get the hell out of here! The Family Matters podcast. <laughs> we can talk about Family Matters for the next three hours. We're leaving all this in. <laughs> and that, introduce, introducing our new podcast, Family Matters Discussions. Family Matters uh. Matters. <laughs> yes. That's our spinoff. It's going to be more of a hit than our original, just like per- Perfect Strangers wasn't a hit. <laughs> Check out the theme song, though. It's great. So we can talk about Bruce Willis. At the time, he was on... He was a spokesperson for Seagram's, like that uh, fruity drink. And he was on a show called Moonlighting, which yeah. looks absolutely terrible. I would never watch oh, that yeah. if you put a gun to my head. So it was very odd seeing this person star in an action film when you had you know Stallone and Schwarzenegger these huge muscle-bound monster men and you have you know this goofy comedy guy who drinks Seagram's they were trying to create an everyman you know a relatable everyman who isn't you know juiced up on steroids I didn't know where Bruce Willis came from I assumed he actually came from Die Hard but that must have been his like jettison into stardom I'm assuming he didn't have anything as huge as Die Hard before this right well, Moonlighting, I think he won a Golden Globe. Oh, who cares? <laughs> it's so strange, though. They they paid him $5 million to be in this film. Wow. It's like TV, TV actor, Seagram spokesperson. And the funny thing is, I guess they had like a test screening or something like that, where I guess people were laughing at him because they were like, oh, God, it's the Seagram's guy. It's the guy from Moonlighting. What an asshole. Good. And they like, I guess people were like booing and like laughing at him. And because of that, they took him off the poster. Oh, geez. And they just left the poster as, as the Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, but then they, I think eventually they added him back on the poster. See, that's why this is so yeah. good, though. It's because Bruce Willis is funny. Mm-hmm. He, said he has so many funny lines in this film. Yeah, he's just like, he's like a good sort of like comedy action hero. He's, he's similar in a lot of ways to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because Schwarzenegger's also pretty hilarious when he's in... But but a different kind oh, of yeah. hilarious. The, the one-liners from Commando are great and, and Running Man. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know. I like Bruce Willis in this movie. I don't love him in a lot of things. But, I mean, uh, this, this also is by no way better than his performance as Corbin Dallas in Fifth Element. I love him as Corbin in Fifth Element. Corbin, my man. Corbin! <laughs> Um, but I think he does a great job in, in this movie. I I think he's pretty funny. I love that he did all of his own stunts. You can really like feel that he's like exhausted at times. Yeah, I think he's he's great. He I, he holds guns weird. No, that is not. That's the most egregious problem I have with this whole movie is the way that he is holding a gun. <laughs> really? I didn't even notice. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, I was gonna say he keeps. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's just like he's like, you know, he's running around barefoot. I mean, he can hold the gun however he wants to. But that scene where he's like 
descending oh, yeah. down the elevator with, mm-hmm. on the string oh, of the yeah. gun is crazy. Oh, I was I was on edge with that because I like I had never seen that, and I'm like, oh my god, this looks terrifying. And I didn't think it was gonna break. I thought it was just gonna like hold him up. I figured it was just gonna be like happily ever after sort yeah. of thing, and he was just gonna swing like Tarzan into the spot, but he didn't. He fell, and that's what I I really like about Bruce Willis in all of these, like. this John McClane character is he seemingly very lucky that's all like he's not yeah he doesn't seem like the most talented person it's sort of like he's just sort of falling into situations and it makes it funny and it makes it I would agree with that an amazing character that's like he's flawed he's like a flawed action hero whereas like if you if if you watch Arnold Schwarzenegger in any of his films, he's like like last action hero. He he does that movie because he plays that character every single time. He's he's the guy who's flawless. He can never fail. And this is why I love John McClane as a character. It's because he's just lucky, and and that's great. It's it's similar to uh, Indiana Jones in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. So uh, one of you guys mentioned that he's like supposed to be the everyman. I think Doug. And he's supposed to be like the everyman. That is what he feels like. Yeah. He feels like a normal person who's just sort of bumbling along in this situation. I, I, I love when he's trying to um, contact the police and he, he pulls the fire alarm and they, he sees him coming. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you fucking idiots, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's great because, like, anybody would do that. People would be like, what the fuck are you doing, you stupid idiots? And I really loved, I really loved oh my gosh. Yeah. how difficult it was for him to even get the police's attention in this whole whole thing. Like, he calls this emergency line, and they're like, get the fuck out of here. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Like, he's like, this is an emergency. People are getting shot. You think I'm ordering a fucking pizza? Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, they're just like, fuck off. This is an emergency line. And they wouldn't listen to him. And then they send some guy over, and he just, Carl Winslow's sort of like, ah, fuck this. There's nothing going on here. And he leaves. The only way that he is actually does anything is because a dead body falls on his car. Falls on his car. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Even after that, the other cops get there, and the the other hilarious thing is is the uh, like the captain of the police. He's like uh, Carl Winslow's like a dead body fell on my car, and he's like, well, it probably was just like a, a like a guy, one of these stockbrokers who just decided to kill himself. <laughs> like, yeah, what? there's there's some real like i i so i didn't grow up in the 80s so i don't understand what's actually happening in this movie but there's some definite fucking criticisms of police in this movie like authorities and governments and things like that like you know the fbi is a group of like bumbling buffoons they're like bros before bros actually existed all of the police officers here are just idiots just straight up fucking idiots even carl winslow is like a little bit of like just completely checked out cop picking up stuff for his wife goes to this place half checks out the building is like i'm not i'm not doing this shit and leaves and it's only after like he's provoked that he actually does something 
Um, and even Bruce Willis a little bit, like, as much as I love him in this movie, he, John McClane is a little bit of, like, a, kind of a douchebag. Like, he, he, like, is wanting to, like, get these guys, but it's not out of a, I don't know if it's out of a sense of duty or if it's out of a sense of playfulness half the time. Like, is he just having fun trying to thwart these guys' plans or is he doing it because it's the right thing to do? I have no idea at the end of it. Like, I I don't really know. So there's a real ambiguity and I think criticism of police and authority figures in this. It's great. Yeah, Um, I completely agree with that. I had that same feeling. I was like, is he actually trying to be a cop? It feels like he just wants to kill these guys. <laughs> yeah, he's just having fun. Yeah. It's, it really does feel like a video game to him. It's like it does. I mean, he dresses around. up that guy in of that freaking yeah. ho 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 outfit. <laughs> I mean. Exactly. Oh, oh, oh. So Roger Ebert did not like this movie, and one of the main reasons this is the most random reason is because he hated the chief. Dwayne Robinson character so much. He thought he was stupid, a bumbling idiot, and he hated this movie because of that one character who's like in the film for at most maybe five minutes. Yeah, well, Roger Ebert can eat it. (laughs) I I feel like he's like super important to this movie too because he's an idiot. Like that character is such an idiot and so he elevates Bruce Willis and Carl Weathers uh, Carl Winslow Carl um, into like Carl Weathers. <laughs> That'd be great. He elevates Bruce Willis and Carl Winslow into like into like a better position because he's so bad. But he also has some good points at the end. Like you know, you gotta pay for a lot of the shit that you did. Like you blew up a whole building. You didn't follow protocol or anything like that. Um, and it's them following protocol that kind of leads the to the safe being opening and the the host- terrorists almost winning so it's weird it's great it's a great like conundrum of a movie um roger ebert's way out of line on this one yeah but... roger ebert i mean if that's his one complaint i mean that's one character and who the hell cares about that character anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's such a tiny role in the movie it, I, I don't know don't know why that would make you so upset that you're going to say you dislike the movie i didn't like that guy either but i think he was supposed to be unlikable <laughs> he wasn't supposed to be they do a good job with these characters making you love to hate somebody for example ellis that guy is so he's such a douchebag and you just oh yeah when he gets shot you're like you kind of feel bad but you're just like oh, that guy deserved it he sucked <laughs> he did suck he was lying he was just an asshole I didn't mind him dying. I was very sad that, uh, uh, I was, well, not very sad, but I was sad that uh, Takahashi died, I think. What was his name? How, what was his name? Uh, <laughs> the CEO there. Tagagi. Um, Tagagi. I just, I love, yeah, when Joe Tagagi, I just love when uh, Ellis is like, <laughs> like, doing like that fake laugh, and he calls him JoJo, I think. Oh my god. Just suck it up. Uh, yeah, that guy sucked. But yeah, the, Takagi was actually... It was sad, because he was, he was just like, I, I can't really even tell you what the, the combination is. The guy just gets shot. It was, it was sad. Oh, there's a, one funny thing. When Ellis goes to talk to the uh, terrorists, or robbers, I should say. They're not terrorists, they're robbers. When he goes to talk with them, one of the henchmen, I, th- I think it's Vigo, pours... Um, by the way, that is Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. 
one of the henchmen. Oh, is that? I, it was either Carl or that or the guy who plays Vigo. I thought you meant Vigo Mortensen. Oh or something. no, uh, okay, there's not Vigo the Carpathian from. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, one of them pours Coca Cola, and it's, I think it's funny because Ellis probably asked for Coke, and they took that literally as soda. It's funny. Yeah, I thought that was good. Also, the lot where uh, there's the part where the guy who plays Genghis Khan from um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where he's like hiding out and he just yeah. grabs a Nestle Crunch bar. He's just oh, whatever. I'm hungry. Product placement at its finest, right there. <laughs> I I miss the product placement of the '80s, to be honest, because they were it was so like not nowadays it's like less blatant. Back then it was like super blatant. Someone like passes you a coke and then you see like the the coke <laughs> logo for like 10 minutes while they drink it fuller go easy on the pepsi totally blatant reese's pieces pouring it into the uh et's hand <laughs> yeah it's more insidious now all the advertising yeah it, like, it's like creeps in in like weird ways well, I, I hate it i hate it too there it was just like it was in front of your fucking face right. and you can ignore it if you want to right it it's an inception now. I'm like, oh, fuck. Why do I want a fucking Pretty Coke large. right now? Oh, because I watched this stupid episode and there was a Coke way in the background <laughs> that I didn't even know I saw. But um, There's a video on YouTube of Adam Sandler product placement moments where it's just, I think it's like 15 minutes long of just like all of the product placement in Adam Sandler movies going back to like Billy Madison with the snack packs. Right. Oh yeah, and then the subway yeah. uh, in in Happy Gilmore, mm-hmm. but he they're so blatantly obvious. I love it. I just love it. Oh, the one thing I want to mention about uh, advertisements is when I was watching this, I was watching this on uh, Amazon Prime, and it, it was Amazon Prime with commercials, which sucked because it was like. It, the worst thing that they do with these streams is when you watch one of these movies on TV, they like cut at the right moments. But with when you're watching it on a stream with ads, they'll cut it mid-sentence. Like one of them was like uh, Carl Winslow was walking into the building and and somebody like was talking mid-sentence. <laughs> Literally cut to a commercial. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but what, what I was... Yippee-ki-yay, mother. Are you suffering from Crohn's disease? Talk to your doctor (laughs) about blah, blah, blah. (laughs) No, but I was thinking, I'm like, one of the cool things that they could do with these advertisements is if I'm watching an 80s movie, it would have 80s advertisements. I would fucking love it if they just had that. I, I would I would actually enjoy the advertisements afterwards. I fucking hate seeing a Limu Emu pop up <laughs> when I'm watching freaking Die Hard. So I have to say, one of the great things about this movie is, I think it's pretty smartly written, but you can pick up on who wrote this damn movie based on a lot of the ways in which action comedy has been written in the past. So Steven D'Souza wrote this movie with the help of... I can't think of the other guy's name. I think it's like Jeb or something like that, who also wrote The Fugitive. Jeb. But so, I can't remember his Jeb last Stewart. name. His Jeb name Stewart, thank you. Jeb. And Steven D'Souza also wrote Commando. He wrote Running Man. He wrote the second Die Hard. Director of Street Fighter. And oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He also wrote Street Fighter as well. He did Judge Dredd. 
And he also worked on Cradle of Life. So Cradle of Filth, oh, Tomb Raider. <laughs> but there, it really does feel like um, Die Hard is like um, kind of like a spiritual sequel of Commando at times. It feels really like similar and funny in the same ways. And, you know, there's all those strange, like weird bro-y scenes. It's great. I love it. Yeah, I just want to bring up Steven D'Souza because no, I think I he did a great job in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I didn't know it was D'Souza. And I think they did a... He did a good job with this movie. Um, it's too bad that like his movies are sort of like a roller coaster ride. It brings out pieces of shit like Die Hard 2 and then uh, brings out some other great movies. He's not very oh, consistent. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. It's the 80s and 90s, man. There's a lot of coke. I guess. A lot of coke. <laughs> Must have been doing a ton of coke during freaking Cradle of Life. Oh, that movie. It's awful. So uh, I did want to mention, um, because we were sort of tracking this at one point, um, and I don't know if this, this is a gay joke, but in the beginning of the movie, uh, when he first gets to California, he sees some people like kissing, and uh, he says, fucking California. And then when he gets to the Christmas party, some guy kisses him on the cheek, and he says it again, fucking California. I, th- I feel like that is a gay joke. And I know that we were sort of tracking gay jokes at one point, and, and this is the 80s, and the 80s and early 90s were big into throwing in that gay joke every once in a while. California's full of gays. <laughs> They they removed that from the film. (laughs) That used to be there. That was they they cut that out in the early two thousands. They're like, all right, that's a little too racy. (laughs) This is a Christmas movie after all. (laughs) There was I was just thinking of uh, Jingle All the Way. Christmas movie has like one of the worst gay jokes ever when Arnold meets uh, uh, Belushi's older brother, younger brother, whatever, the one that's not as talented. He's the Santa Claus. Yeah. Arnold says, I'm not sitting on your lap. And then Belushi's like, that's not my bag. Get it? Gay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just that early. I think the early 2000s even had it. But it was the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s that really loved to just drive those gay jokes right in. Real hard, too. Especially um, The Hangover. They dropped the F-bomb like... 15 times in the beginning and it's just so fucking un- not funny yeah they just do it just to say it yeah i i have yeah. a lot of problems with that movie and one of them is i don't think it's that funny i don't think it's an awful movie i thought it was awful back it's then a terrible too. Movie. yeah have you guys ever tried this fist with the toes no i've i've thought about it but i never actually <laughs> i kind of want to try it now Paul, you've seen this movie like fifty times. I mean, I've done it. I it does it doesn't it doesn't feel the same way. But that son of a bitch, he's right. Bruce Will- uh, Bruce Willis spells it W I C H A. Toes. Fist with your toes. Toes. Fist with your toes. Fist with your toes. Yeah, I mean. I, I love that he's in a bathroom doing it. Yeah. Um, that's also, or is he in? Is he in her office? One of the two. Maybe she. He's in her bathroom office. I think office. he was in her bathroom I don't, office. Yeah. Oh my god! And so he's like, 
a place for people piss. He's like rubbing his toes on the floor. Uh, people are pissing on the floor. Weird. Plus, it's her office. It's a fetish people have. Rubbing your feet on piss floors. I guess Ladies so, have man. less of a chance of pissing on the floor. I want to rub my feet in your piss. piss <laughs> Uh, Did you guys want to talk about the uh, your favorite lines from this movie? Because I know that I had some favorites that I took away. I know that you guys have both mentioned some uh, liking a lot of the lines that were said. So I figured we would just talk a, about a couple that we really liked. One of mine was the the first thief that he fights. Is He goes, there are rules for policemen. And he goes... That's what my captain keeps telling me. <laughs> and then he kills the guy, which is great. Like, it just it just is like a real testament to his character right then. And it's sort of really introducing you to... It, it goes from John McClane, just the guy that you sort of have been seeing all this time, to John McClane, the cop. And he's just like a... I don't fucking care about the rules cop. And so I think that's a real, like, good character development line, one-liner right there. I liked it a lot. The ones that I really love are, come out to the coast, we'll get together, we'll have a few laughs. While he's crawling in the duct. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Which is just one of my favorites. <laughs> that one is great. Oh, yeah, Hans Gruber, right after he kills uh, Takagi... He's like, he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. <laughs> Which is also really fucking great. That one is good. I do like that one. He won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Both of the FBI agents, when they come out, they go, oh, what is? what are their names? I can't think of their last name. Oh, I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. No relation. Uh, it's just like fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. Love it so much. And... Go ahead. The good line is when we first meet Ellis, and he's uh, snorting coke off of his boss's desk. When McLean first meets him, he just looks at him and goes, you missed some. Look, he looks at his nose. <laughs> says, says that. Oh, and also Ellis's line when he goes to speak with uh, Gruber's gang. He's like, Sprickens it talk? Sprickens it talk, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Sprickens, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Ellis also has that great line there too where he's like Hans, Bubby, I'm your white knight yep. <laughs> Hans, Bubby, I'm your white knight <laughs> Oh, that guy's such um, an asshole I also really love I love when the FBI agents blow up and the cops on the grounds are like we're gonna need some more FBI guys, I guess We're gonna need another Timmy <laughs> Which is also pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the other one I like is, uh, so he's fighting another guy, and like he's he's running under the table. He's like crawling under the table, and this guy's shooting at him. And he goes, "Next time you go you go to kill someone, don't hesitate." And he goes, "Thanks for the advice." <laughs> and kills the guy. <laughs> Just shoots him right in the crotch too. Kills him like through the balls. Yeah. And then, of course, Yippie Kaye, motherfucker, was is just is is awesome. Yippie Kaye, motherfucker. I don't know how they came up with that, but it's it's very well done. And the the thing I really like about these older movies is they can get away with these cheesy lines without them feeling forced. It it's like um it's amazing, and I feel like 
a lot of newer movies, it feels like it's sort of written in, and these sort of feel more off the cuff. And I don't know why that is, but uh, it just makes it better, in my opinion. I don't know why. So another great line is, I'm going to try to see if I can remember it, nine million terrorists and i got to kill the one with... Uh, feet smaller than my sister. <laughs> yeah, that's um, when he has to take the guy's I love shoes. how they throw that in there, too, because you're going to think as the viewer, like, why doesn't he just put shoes on? He's just take the uh, the terrorist shoes. He tried. His feet are too small. So yeah. he has to continue walking around barefoot, and that's what leads to, you know, the broken glass and all that. Yeah. You know, that is, I, I got to say, that is some really smart writing, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Just because they followed this whole this they 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 built this whole barefoot thing throughout like the first half of the movie with and they they kind of clung to it throughout the movie which was pretty awesome and it just started with the guy on the plane saying uh making fists with your toes fists with your toes uh, i mean that's what led him to not wear any shoes <laughs> and then it just carried that yeah. throughout the movie and they used his bare feet throughout the movie and it's like a throwaway joke and that's just some top-notch writing in my opinion you think there are any like foot-loving weirdos who spank it to this movie oh guaranteed definitely a hundred percent yeah i'm surprised uh, you remember when we did tomb raider and they focus on her feet a lot i'm surprised the souza didn't do the first tomb raider as well <laughs> You might be in defeat. I'm now. I'm now curious. Maybe we should watch the other, uh, like Commando. Maybe Commando is all about these feet too. D'Souza, more like de no Shoesa. <laughs> Off. <laughs> Fun fact about the feet: he's wearing like rubber shoes, kind of like in the Hobbit. Yeah. Oh really? Oh. I think well, there's actually a scene where you could see like the crease where like where the fake shoe stops. I don't know. It's like a scene where he's laying on the ground, but you can see it's a fake foot. That makes sense because. It would suck if he, like, stepped on something and then he had a bloody foot the rest of the freaking movie. Ugh, that would have been the worst. So they had to do something. Yeah, I guess if you watch the scenes with the glass, his feet are, are, like, huge because they're, like, he's got, like, big hobbit feet. Huh. Never even paid attention to it. You know who was? Foot-loving weirdos. D'Souza. <laughs> the shoes up. No, did no shoes up. He doesn't want, he doesn't want shoes. Did no shoes up. The shoes up. No shoes at D'Souza. I love it. Um, so, is there some other stuff you want, guys want to talk about this? Actually, there is one thing I want to talk about with the ending. And it sort of goes with your your statement about the book, Paul, where the, where the daughter dies in the end. I actually expected the wife to get killed. I really don't understand. So, Hans Gruber is gonna apparently shoot her right that's what it looks like he's gonna do before he gets let go and he falls but the thing is if he shot her he would have fell anyway right right why when he so the only reason he would have shot her is for like a revenge type of thing right so why when he's falling does he just not shoot her (laughs) still like why is he just like waving around like ah I mean, if if his whole point is to revenge, then he would have still shot her. So my thought is he does, he did shoot her in some version, and they actually 
decided to go with this other version because it's it's better yeah i'm not sure i mean it's strange because the souza wrote the movie as if he rewrote the screenplay as if hans gruber was the protagonist hmm. so like he made it so that hans gruber was like very very smart in what he was doing and because he he couldn't be easily thwarted um and so john Mc- mccain <laughs> john mccain john mclean um john mclean was supposed to be this like you know a rat in a maze situation whereas hans gruber is this very smart guy so at the end of the movie when he's like falling from the building um it does make sense to him for like either shoot bruce willis or shoot the lady I don't know. It just feels kind of out of character. I would agree with you. You know what they should have um, done? They should have. Yeah. They should remake, or they should have remade this movie. They can't do it now. They should have remade this movie with John McCain and Carl Weathers. <laughs> uh, put a put a bone in that. You got a stew going. <laughs> the the other thing was. Uh, Carl, now I'm forgetting his actual Winslow. Thank you. Winslow. Uh, his name in the movie was actually Powell, and every time they said Powell, if I didn't yeah. have the subtitles on, I would have thought they were saying Pal, because they kept just saying like the way they said it. It did not sound like Powell. So I hey, Pal. I hey, hey Pal. It just sounded like Pal to me, and it just actually sounded right for this movie, like because that's. That's how Bruce Willis talks. He says pal a lot. So I'm, I'm, I was surprised that he didn't say pal. Yeah, Chief Dwayne calls him pal when it sounds like pal. Because he sounds like the type of person to be like, hey, pal. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, hey, pal. Eh. Hey, pal. I'm an asshole cop, hey, pal. Hey, pal. <laughs> that's anything. He's anything but your pal. He's an asshole. <laughs> Paul, you're, you're going to like this random fact I found. Around this time, Willis, uh, Bruce Willis had turned down uh, the role in uh, Midnight Run to play Charles Grodin's character. Can you imagine if that was switched? Can you imagine if he took that oh role my God. and we got Charles Grodin in uh, Die Hard? <laughs> Where's my dog? Oh my God. Can you imagine Charles Grodin in this movie? You'd be great. <laughs> You'd be Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love Midnight Run. I I'm so glad that that was Charles Grodin in that movie, and not Bruce Willis. I don't like to fly. No. What you had to look up who Charles? I Grodin I was. always forget who he is, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, he's the guy from Beethoven. <laughs> I love Charles Grodin. Yeah, he would have sucked in this movie. <laughs> Where's my dog? The casting is perfect in this movie. Oh, yeah. Also, my favorite opening. I think that the way in which the two terrorists right at the beginning of the movie walk in to the building is one of the best scenes because it's so natural. Like they just walk in and they're like talking about basketball and like the guy behind the counter is just like, you know, whatever. And then they just walk up and shoot him. And it's so brutal, but it's a great takeover. And it sets, it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Like there's absolutely no reservations in these people's plans like it's it is pretty pretty vicious going forward yeah if and it is it's great it feels very real i i don't know i just feel like if if someone were to do that they wouldn't be all like sneaky or anything like that that's how a 
terrorist group, I would imagine, would actually do something like that. Yeah. It's it's brutal, yeah, but uh, it, it, it was very simple and got the job done there. They do a similar thing in the third one as well, where, the, where they sort of casually walk in. I think they do a good job with that, too. I don't know if D'Souza did the third one or if he just did the first two, but... The third one's like a completely different film. It's like it's not Chris, not Christmas themed yeah. at all. It's like just a, no. an action film. Well, the second one, I don't even know. I I've really not seen it, um, other than bits and pieces, and I've heard that it's terrible. But it, I hear it takes place in an airport. Uh, I don't know if it direct yep. is it like directly after this one. <laughs> Does it even link? Yeah, it also <clears throat> takes place on Christmas Eve. The second one. Oh, it does. Okay. Yep. It's a weird movie and I don't think I you know I I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a, kind of a cash grab. It was made pretty quickly. It's not terrible, terrible, but it's not great. I think a lot of people went into that movie just expecting what it was and they enjoyed it for that. Um it's just like a it's it's a silly kind of movie. I think that's the one with um is Sam Jackson in that no, one? No, that's no. the third one. Zeus. Right. That's right. Yeah, he's Zeus in the third one, and I think he plays... that. If you're going to compare anything to Lethal Weapon, you might as well compare the third one to Lethal Weapon. That makes a lot more sense. He actually has a partner, though I guess you can count Carl Winslow, but I wouldn't. <laughs> They're in different locations, so I guess doesn't, they don't even see each other until really the end. He doesn't do anything either. He's just sort of there for emotional support. I do like how they introduce him and how... Because they, they introduce him like, oh, he's a fat guy and he's getting Twinkies. Typical fat cop. But then you learn... Well, he says he's getting him for his wife, even though I do think he was eating them in the car. But then you realize that he's not he's not like incompetent or anything. He's just... He became a, uh, a desk jockey because... Uh, he killed the kid. He had, yeah, he killed the kid. Yeah. And then and then he has a redemption moment at the end where he shoots uh, Carl, the, the big heavy... Um, Henchman. Yep. Yeah. That's true. I do remember the second one is very forgettable villains. It's like some like army guy and whatchamacallit, uh John McClane now works for LA police department. Oh, that, well that is just so stupid. Yeah. And the third one he's back in the New York police department. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all over the place. <laughs> The third one actually feels like it comes right after the first one because he's now divorced from his wife and it already felt like they were going to get a divorce anyways. And uh, he's still a New York City cop, which it feels like he wanted to be a New York City cop. That's That was like the whole reason why he didn't go to L.A. was because he wanted to be a New York City cop. Yeah. So I don't understand. If that's what that second one's about, it sounds even worse than what I thought it was. I remember seeing Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think I was like eight or nine. My brother was watching it. and I wasn't supposed to. I was way too little. And then it's, you know, the scene where John McClane has the sign and he's walking around. Yeah, Harley. And I was like, um, what does that mean? <laughs> and I found out what that word meant. <laughs> that was my introduction to that terrible word. <laughs> yeah. The first time I saw it in the few subsequent times i've seen it um i watched it on t 
TV, they did not show that sign. Don't they change it to like I hate people or something like that? Yeah, it's something. <laughs> it, it's something that doesn't even make any sense with the movie, and I'm like, oh, what? Why are they so angry about this sign? <laughs> I hate ham sandwiches. When you know what it actually says. <laughs> Yeah, I think it says I hate people or something. That's all it says. How dare he say I, I hate people? people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a person. <laughs> Sam Jackson's just like, you can't go around with a sign that says I hate people. Yeah. The awful dubbed uh, dubbed over voice. Oh, I, I don't I can't even imagine watching these movies uh, dubbed over. There's some dubbed versions that are good, but I think Die Hard Two is the one with Mr. Falcon. You think I am Mr. Falcon? Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Is that what he says? Instead of motherfucker, he says Mr. Falcon. Yeah, because it's like right on his face, so they have to, like, they have to add something. I, I know Hot Fuzz has some good ones uh, that they dub in. They actually say, in, instead of Jesus Christ, they say peas and rice or <laughs> something like that. And it's pretty good. The best uh, snakes on a plane on TV was Sam Jackson. He says, I hate these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite. And then like the one the one guy, um Keenan Thompson and like the guy he's with, the snake bites him on the ass. He's like, My ass, man, my my, my ass. And on TV it's like my rear, my rear, man, my rear. Like yeah, who, that's who, the, who says rear? <laughs> those are the best dubs when they do stuff like that. It's great. So one of the other things that I did know about this movie is that uh, Clint Eastwood was also going to take a stab at being John McClane. A few um, people were. Harrison and, Ford. And, yeah, and so was uh, Frank Sinatra. Oh um, they offered God. it to Frank Sinatra as well. And he was, I think he was like 70-something at the time, and he was like, no thanks. <laughs> that would have been awful. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Old Mickey Blue Eyes <laughs> just know. really going to town. And the, um, and the opposite of what, what they wanted. They were going to get Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger, but they uh, declined. I'm glad they didn't get any of them. The only person that I think could have sort of come close because he's played characters like that is Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. I think Harrison Ford is the only one just because he he usually plays the bumbling lucky guy just somehow makes it. But honestly, I think Bruce Willis is the best choice, clearly. What would you think of Sam Neill? Because Sam Neill turned down the role of Hans Gruber. What do you think the movie would have been like with Dr. Alan Grant as the villain? I, I'd like Sam Neill. He like probably would have pulled it off. I think but so too. Alan Rickman is just real great at being like snivelly and mean. He, great. Is, he is very good. We didn't talk about the uh, the scene where he falls, the iconic slow motion uh, fall from the building, from the Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> Do you know that um, he did not expect that? It was like a 40 foot drop onto like an airbag, like with a, like a blue or green screen. And he was hanging from a rope, and the stunt coordinator just dropped him. Well, he's like, on the count of three, and he dropped him on the count of two. And you could see that his face, he's probably shitting himself. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's the way to do it, though. I mean, you're going to get an actual reaction um, out of a person that's smart. Yeah, I mean... He also um, spoke all the German that he spoke in this movie was just like fucking gibberish. Oh yeah, I know it. It, it says in for in foreign language because I was watching the subtitles. That's all it says. It doesn't say in German. It says in foreign language. 
Absolutely nothing was real in that. Other than Schnell. Schnell, Schnell. <laughs> Schnell. No, they and they they do the only clip they do back in the third one. They do the a clip back to the original, and it's just to show him doing the slow motion fall, which is great. They did a great job with that. This this movie just was very well done. The games not so good, but the, the NES one, like we talked about, was seemed okay. I mean, it's passable. passable. Yeah, it, NES One isn't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shit on it too much. But you know, if you want to play a game that will take a about thirty five minutes of play your life, else. boot it in and have fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but yeah. Boot um, it in. Huh? It's all right. A line here in my notes that three oh. people in this film were from Ghostbusters. You have the, the asshole newscaster guy who was Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. Obviously, uh, Carl Winslow yep. was in Ghostbusters as the, I think it's like a prison guard. Huh. And Vigo, yep. as I mentioned earlier. I did recognize that guy. I didn't know where from. Now I know. It's Vigo. He's an asshole in that movie. He's an asshole in this one. You have my sword. <laughs> <laughs> no, he can't play someone like that guy. Ugh. Oh. I'd be sad if I saw Viggo Mortensen playing that guy in this movie. <laughs> Though I would have loved it if he said that line. You have my sword. <laughs> he says it to Alan Rickman. <laughs> so the budget for this movie, $30 million. How much do you think it made at the box office? $150 million. Very close. 100, $180. 140. Ha. Yeah. Really? Huge uh, success. I wonder what those idiots are thinking at the, that test screening that thought that uh, Bruce Willis was a joke. Yeah, freaking assholes. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that if I would have... Let, let's let's put it into context for everybody. That would be like the Dos Equis guy being like taken. <laughs> like, I would have laughed That'd at that awesome. too. Um... And I would have been like, good choice! <laughs> <laughs> you gotta give uh, people a chance. Come on. The Dos Equis guy is pretty funny. Yeah, maybe. I like him. I'd watch him in something. <laughs> Better than freaking... Who was the other choice you said? Frank Sinatra? Get the fuck out of here. I did it my way, yippee-ki-yay, <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, did they make that up, or is that something from uh, Roy Rogers? Uh, does he say yippee-ki-yay? Because I know they, they played that joke throughout the whole thing. I think it was from, like, some kid's show. I think it was, like, Howdy Doody or something like that. One of the cowboys was like, yippee-ki-yay, or something like that. Oh, really? Huh. One of those awful shows maybe... from the 60s or whatever. I thought maybe uh, Bruce Willis ad-libbed it or something. Yeah, Bruce Willis probably grew up with those shitty kid shows. That's also very true. They were very shitty. So this movie, um, did you know that it was nominated for four Academy Awards and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. This was done in uh, 2017 for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. I mean, it's all true. Very yeah. true. All. I mean, some people watch uh, Die Hard every Christmas. I do. I think I. I think it's on every Christmas on like TBS or TNT, and I watch it almost every year. Yeah. Also. Roy Rogers does say yippee yippee kaye. Oh, he does. Okay. And there's a yeah, 
and there's a song it's a really good song um it's called i'm an old cow hand cow hand from the rio grande and he sings it in there he doesn't say motherfucker obviously i think i think i've heard that song no it's not that one no (laughs) i'm thinking of the ballad of buster scruggs do you guys have anything else for this movie no what about you guys no man no i i was very happy to finally watch this film fully through and i think i will watch it it's gonna be part of my uh christmas pack of movies to watch this is always a fun movie and i always root for hans gruber every time and he always loses you're an asshole like i said you don't want him to lose but you don't want um mclean to lose either no no. Why, do I want, why do I want Hans Gruber to win? All he's getting is Barabans. I don't want him to win. <laughs> he just shoots a guy right in the head. Two guys. Barabans. He's getting Barry Bonds. He's getting Barry Bonds <laughs> to play for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bet on that man. Bet on that man. All right, so, so that does it for this episode of Reset and Rewind. Die Hard from 1988 want to hear more from us you can follow us on instagram we also have an email at reset and rewind podcast at gmail.com and our next bonus episode as voted by you on instagram we had eight options for bonus episodes and the people have chosen drum roll please <laughs> the wizard from 1989 that's the one the wizard isn't it or is it Wizard? The Wizard. Is it, oh, I thought I thought you with, said just Wizard. With Michael Jackson? No, no, no. We're not doing that one. The Wizard with Fred Savage and... Uh, the Wiz? <laughs> the Wiz. No, it's, it's The Wizard starring um, Rilo Kiley, lead singer Jenny Lewis, and Fred Savage. And Bo Bridges is in there, Christian Slater, and a bunch of Nintendo games. Nice. I'm excited. Bye, with a little help from my friends. <laughs> I used to hate that theme song as a kid. Whenever that theme song came on, I'd be like, change the channel. That theme song was a little bit annoying. <laughs> I agree. It was that and all... I know All in the Family was supposed to be bad. That that theme, theme song is supposed to be like, oh, Edith has a terrible voice. But when that came on when I was a kid, I'm like, ew, old people, turn it off. Those were the days. <laughs> I don't know the words. I just because you always you always flipped it. Yeah, (laughs) it's like no old people. No, I want to put uh, family matters on. Anything else? It's a Joe Cocker cover of a Beatles song. Anyway, you guys are shitting on some real good stuff lately. Uh, Take the Joe and the Kerr out of his name to get my exact opinion. Uh. (laughs) Alright, anything else? Nope. We can only go out on one note. Mr. Falcon, 